Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. For our 10th episode, we are going to do a deep dive on a team that nobody ever discusses, the Golden State Warriors. I'm here with Jordan Christmas. Jordan, how are you doing today? Uh, not too bad. Uh, ready to talk about the most not-talked-about team in the NBA. <laughs> so, speaking of the most not-talked-about team in the NBA, let's start with the most not-talked-about off-season and the most not-talked-about off-season acquisition. <laughs> Kevin Durant, which gave the 73-9 and Warriors the previous... MVP, so they now have the last three consecutive MVPs. I guess there isn't much to say about Kevin Durant that hasn't already been said, but an article on Hashtag Basketball that we're going to get into a little bit later is on why Kevin Durant is basically the perfect fit for the Warriors. Have you seen anything so far that would go against that? No, Kevin Durant is literally the perfect player for any system. Like, he is a system. He can fit into a system like the Warriors. I figured there would be a transition period to where they figure out each other on offense. But, I mean, Katie has always been a good off-the-ball player. Obviously, he's an incredible scorer, one of the greatest in history. So I figured he it would be more of a seamless transition. I know there are a lot of comparisons to the Miami Heat teams when LeBron, Wade, and Bosh joined up. But if you just look at the skill sets, you just kind of figured that that transition would be more seamless than the Miami Heat super team that was formed before the 2010-2011 season started. It's, it's crazy. We all knew there was, I felt like there was some a part of Kevin Durant's game that just hadn't been unlocked yet. And now that he's playing with, great shooters and incredible spacing and an offensive system that's conducive to his skill set he has been ridiculous with his efficiency um before the Knicks game yesterday uh he was shooting 53 percent from the field 41 percent from three and because of the bad game he had yesterday it was down to 39.4 percent but he's a 40 percent three-point shooter basically and shooting 86 percent from the line and also With Ron Adams and Mike Brown on the coaching staff, two well-known defensive-minded NBA coaches, they've also unlocked Durant's ability as a two-way player. We knew he was a good defender and could be a great defender when he set his mind to it. But uh, last year in the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors, when Durant was on the Thunder, he really played the best two-way series that I saw from him in his career. And I know he didn't shoot the ball well, but he was guarding Draymond, he was guarding Steph, he was guarding Clay, switching out on everybody, protecting the rim. I remember one play, it was in Game 4 of the Western Conference Finals, where Andre Iguodala drove baseline, and Kevin Durant jumped up like he was going to block a layup attempt, and Iguodala faked the pass, and he passed it to Sean Livingston for what was usually a typical easy Warriors dunk, and Durant landed, jumped back up again, and just swatted Sean Livingston. That's how incredible he was on the defensive end of the floor, and it's just been incredible. I mean, it should be no surprise. On the defensive side, they've also started to gel together well. They're now seventh in uh, defensive efficiency, and... Durant's just been his normal two-way self. He has a career high in, he's been averaging a career high in blocks also with 1.7. And when you have someone like Kevin Durant, who's that versatile playing that kind of defense, it makes everything easier for the Warriors to kickstart transition. The thing that I think is most important with Kevin Durant, and granted his improved defense will be 
especially important to this team once they get to the playoffs. But as of right now, there are 358 players in the NBA who have averaged more than 10 minutes a game and played more than one game. In terms of true shooting percentage, Kevin Durant is ninth and Stephen Curry is 11th. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous, man. That's, they, and the crazy thing is, uh, every player, every player on that team in the starting lineup, they give spacing for each other. Obviously, Steph is the system just because of the ridiculous and unique spacing that he provides. Cause it's not hyperbole. You literally have to guard him when he crosses half court. But I've seen Steph have more wide open shots than I've ever seen him. I've watched the Warriors for a long time. This is the most amount of wide open shots I've seen. Steph get, Clay Thompson get, and Kevin Durant get. I mean, when Steph and Draymond run the 1-4 pick and roll and Kevin Durant is in the weak side corner, that's just unfair. <laughs> You're leaving one of the greatest scorers ever opened. And it's kind of, it is still weird. I'm kind of not used to it yet because I was so used to him being in a bogged down offense that didn't have much spacing. And it was kind of a your turn, my turn offense in Oklahoma City with Russell Westbrook. But they've been fun to watch. And I said it from the beginning, they were going to, it's going to be basketball nirvana. I understand people when they say, when they talk about competitive balance and stuff, but if you're a basketball fan, you just, you have to enjoy this. This is just, it's beautiful basketball to watch. Let's move on to some of the other Warriors offseason acquisitions. And the other main acquisition was Zaza Pachulia. They brought him in to replace Andrew Bogut. They got him for the room exception, which rankled a lot of other GMs in the league. The thing about Zaza is he just is not playing at the level that A, the Warriors need him to, and B, I think the Warriors probably expected him to coming into the year. He's averaging 17 and a half minutes a game, which is down from his 26 and a half last season. He's back up to shooting 500 from the floor and he's continued to be a solid free throw shooter. He's currently at just under 80%, but he's not been anywhere near as good of a rebounder as he was last season. And I think more importantly for this team, especially since he was brought in to replace Andrew Bogut, he's allowing opponents to shoot 64.7% from less than six feet from the basket. Yeesh. And if the Warriors are going to need to, you know, hold teams down on the defensive end, especially come the playoffs, 65% is not going to cut it from their starting center. No, it's not. And I actually, I think, believe it or not, I think Zaza's played better before he had his wrist contusion. The Warriors kind of had to expect this from Zaza, right? This type of production. I mean, one of the dirty secrets from last season and I know Zaza almost laughably got voted into the All-Star game last year as a starter. But one of the dirty secrets was post-All-Star break, he was actually pretty terrible. Pre-All-Star break, he was averaging 10 and 10 and 2 assists through 50 games. And then post-All-Star break in the last 26 games, he averaged 5.8 points, 7 rebounds, and 1 assist per game. And also averaging a almost a negative 5 plus minus number. So Zaza really fell off a cliff last year. The Warriors kind of figured out how to use Zaza in his passing. The thing with Andrew Bogut is one of the underrated things about Andrew Bogut's passing game is that he was able to lead guys like Steph and Clay whenever they were cutting or cutting to an open space. He was able to lead the receiver, so to speak, like a quarterback leading a receiver over the middle, catch it in stride. But Zaza has had some tricky passes in his own way to help facilitate the offense. But honestly, to me, all of it is negligible when you 
have Kevin Durant, obviously, and also Draymond Green has just been incredible on defense this year. I honestly think, and he's already been, he's been a great defender and has had great defensive seasons, but I think this has been the best defense that I've seen from him in his career so far. So that kind of nullifies a, a lot of Zaza's ineffective parts of his game but if you just get 10 to 15 solid minutes from Zaza where he's not playing out of himself he still provides you good passes from the top of the free throw line every once in a while and you just close out with the super death lineup now with Kevin Durant playing the four and Draymond at the five I think the Warriors will be fine you talked about his passing Zaza's currently at 2.4 assists per game in his reduced minutes from last year that isn't quite his career high of 2.6, but certainly is his career high in terms of assists per minute. The rim protection numbers that I brought up before, I think that's been the most surprising part because in the past, he's actually been surprisingly effective at defending the rim. Last year in Dallas overall, he allowed 58% from that less than six feet range. In 2014-2015, he actually allowed 53.5%, which was a great number in terms of defense at the rim. Let's move on to the other Warriors acquisitions really quickly. They got David West for a minimum deal. He's sort of been their last big man in the rotation so far, although JaVale McGee has been playing a lot more, especially with the Zaza injury and Anderson Verjao sort of falling out of the rotation. But West has been solid. He's shooting 52% from the floor. He's getting nearly three rebounds and two assists per game in only 11 minutes per game. He isn't anywhere near the athlete that he was during his all-star days, but he's a solid vet. He doesn't make many mistakes, and that's important for this team. And the other big new name is Patrick McCaw. He's just under 13 minutes a game. He's been taking most of his shots from three-point range, and he's hitting a solid 37.8% of them, but He's a rookie, and it shows at times. David West, he has been solid in the minutes he's given. He's also kind of been a Zaza, Andrew Bogut type where he gets the ball at the top of the circle and can pinpoint passes when there's action going on under the basket. And Patrick Picard, though his minutes have been up and down, he's He's one of those rookies that whenever he enters the game, he kind of, he doesn't play like with the deer in the headlights, so to speak. And I know that sounds like hyperbolic, uh, sports radio talk, but it really is true. I mean, he seemed to uh, fit in seamlessly whenever he gets his, uh, number called. JaVel McGee, actually, I kind of want to track that for, at least for the foreseeable future, because he's been starting recently. And I actually think that the Warriors offense, strangely enough, well, first of all, McGee has actually been incredible in his role so far under Kerr. He's got him, he basically has bought into, I'm going to block shots, I'm going to grab rebounds, alter shots, and I'm going to rim run. And those are all things that JaVel McGee can do, because for all of his shacked in a fool moments, and him being the two-time shacked in a fool MVP, by the way, <laughs> he actually, he has, he is a freak athlete and has a really long pterodactyl wingspan, and it provides extra spacing for the Warriors' offense, as if they need it anymore, right? Because the threat of the lob is so imminent with McGee on the court that the opponent has to respect him and the defender stays attached to him, which provides <laughs> even more spacing for the deadly shooters that they have out there. So as JaVel McGee gets more comfortable with his role and gains more confidence, I'm really interested to see how many important minutes he's, he's given once the Warriors make the playoffs and 
if he can continue to gain chemistry with the starting unit on defense because I actually think with McGee's athleticism obviously I think the team has a little bit higher of a ceiling because of the of all the big men they've acquired this offseason I think McGee's easily their best rim protector maybe not the positional defender that Zaza is or the tough um, stocky player in the post like David West is but JaVale McGee can move he's agile and he has long arms and can protect the rim so it'll be interesting so that actually leads us right into our next point and you covered a lot of these details already but I wanted to talk about their big man rotation and I think the key in that as you sort of discussed with JaVale McGee is I feel like he fits what the Warriors need out of that center position a lot better than either Zaza or Anderson Verjao. I think Verjao is basically done at this point. He's not even shooting 30% from the floor. At this point, really, his only move on the defensive end is basically to fall over and hope that they call the charge, even though refs are sort of starting to get accustomed to the fact that those really aren't usually charges because you know he's did you did you notice by the way on saturday against the grizzlies that Kerr started Verajao and they got pounded and then Verajao hasn't played since and they've won all their games we'll get into their best and worst games later but on that front on the big man front you talked a little bit about the defensive play of draymond green and i guess coming into the past stretch of games i thought the warriors might try and trade for a center just because Zaza hadn't been getting it done in terms of defense at the rim, and Anderson Verjao was being what Anderson Verjao is now, and JaVale hadn't really started to get minutes from Kerr. But, I mean, maybe you feel differently, but I'm not sure they need to trade for a center, because by the time the playoffs come around, I'm just assuming that Draymond Green is going to be playing center basically the majority of the minutes. Right, and I, I agree with you, Nick. The Warriors really don't need to trade anybody, and they don't need to mess with any of the big four, because I know there was small talk, like, it lasted for like a week and a half about maybe trading Clay Thompson for some better big men, I guess, but that was just, that was just dumb. But anyway, they, especially in the finals, um, you look at, look at the lineup Cleveland finished with in game seven last year. It was with Tristan Thompson at the five and LeBron at the four. I mean, you really, the Warriors really don't need a rim protector per se during the playoffs they just need to play solid enough perimeter defense their defense when it comes to switching everything is incredible and has been incredible and better than last year now that Kevin Durant is there and I just don't see a point in panicking when you have four guys who are four of the 15 best players in the NBA um, and especially in the playoffs it, it really comes down to who are you who do you trust in the last six minutes of a playoff game right and I see Kerr just finishing games with the death lineup now they've been getting a little bit more minutes in those lineups than usual more than last year but I feel like like that's also just to get some chemistry down, get some real game reps with this super death lineup. And to me, that's all you need. You want to obviously get contributions from your centers and you don't want them to be a net negative. But to me, the rim protection thing, it's a problem. Don't get me wrong. And they're actually uh, their 16th in defensive rebounding efficiency. But um, in the playoffs, when... It comes down to it. It just matters who are your best five players on the floor. 
And the Warriors do have a legitimate seven-footer in their starting lineup. The only thing is that he plays small forward. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exa- did you see, by the way, that he uh, finally admitted that he wasn't six nine? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was referring to. You know, he basically said, "Yeah, I'm six foot eleven, not in shoes, seven foot in shoes," and he's. <laughs> He's a he's a wing player, and he's seven feet tall. It's absurd. But speaking of wing players, let's move on to a quick discussion of the wings and guards on this team. Now, obviously, the lion's share of the minutes on the wing are going to go to Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson, and the majority of the guard minutes are going to go to Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry. But I think something that's important to discuss is that Andre Iguodala has been such a huge piece of this team's success for the past few years, and he has not been playing up to his usual standards so far this year. He's just barely over 30% from three. He's playing a little under 25 minutes a game, but he just has not looked as athletic as he has in the past. He hasn't looked as solid on the defensive end as he has in the past. Do you think that is just a slow start from him? Do you think maybe more time between games in the playoffs is going to sort of help him get back to his usual standards? Or do you think at this point, you know, he's 33 this season. Do you think it's just age-related decline at this point? I guess all of the above. And I wanted to mention that in these last few weeks, Iguodala has kind of gotten back to form a little bit. I also feel like he's saving himself for the playoffs because as you mentioned, he's going to turn 33 on January 28th next month. And he has a lot of miles on him at this point. It's his 12th NBA season. The thing with Andre Iguodala is, and as a 76er fan and as a Northern California resident, I've watched almost all of his games with the 76ers and the Warriors, and of course his one season in Denver. The thing with him is he'll show up big when you least expect it. He's always been a really good defender, and he's lost a step on defense in terms of laterally and getting up and down the court, but he's still so smart, and he still has lightning quick hands. Honestly, he has some of the best hands that I've ever seen from a wing player. He, he's just, he knows how to position himself now. He's super smart and I feel like it was just a slow start with the combination of age and just realizing that at this point you're not trying to chase 73 wins you're basically trying to get back to the mountaintop and right those demons that were the 2016 NBA finals and at this point I think he realizes that he's just that he just needs to pace himself he's still one of their Steve Kerr talks about it all the time Iguodala is he brings that calming effect whenever he comes into a game when the Warriors get on their binge of just throwing the ball over because they know that they're super good and they get really lazy with passes and so whenever Iguodala comes into the game all of that kind of just stops and everybody on the court gets collectively more aware and more intelligent so it's just little things like Iguodala has always been a five-tool player like that where he also does stuff that doesn't normally show up in the stat sheet he'll be fine and he's just uh I feel like he's just pacing himself for the playoffs the other wing slash guard I wanted to talk about is Sean Livingston now he is averaging 17 and a half minutes per game which is slightly down from last season where he was just barely under 20, but he's shooting 59% from the floor. He's been his usual incredibly efficient self. He's 
averaging less than a turnover per game, despite basically being the main ball handler on the second unit for Golden State. Do you think he should get more of Patrick McCaw's minutes during the rest of the regular season? Or do you think the Warriors should just give Pat McCaw some run as a rookie and then sort of up Livingston's playing time during the actual playoffs? It's interesting because uh, I feel like Sean Livingston, he's still, like you said, he's his usual efficient self. And whenever he posts up guards, I mean, it's just pretty much unstoppable because most guards aren't tall enough to block it. But I think he's also been losing his minutes because uh, Ian Clark has actually had a career year so far. He's averaging 13 minutes a game, shooting 41% from three. And looking at it right now, he's shooting... 49, 49.6% from the field overall and averaging almost seven points a game. So he's kind of provided some pop offensively off the bench for the Warriors. And as if the Warriors <laughs> needed more 40% plus shooters, right? But, uh, I feel like that's another reason Livingston's minutes have been down. He's also 31, actually, surprisingly. And so I feel like Kerr is also, I feel like this season for Kerr, they realized that they had a once in a lifetime opportunity last year to cement themselves in basketball infamy, winning 73 games and going for the championship. But now that that obviously didn't get accomplished, they can now focus on the long run. And I feel like Kerr is also preserving Sean Livingston's minutes also. I feel like with Iguodala and Livingston, we're going to see their minutes increase more once they get to the playoffs. But he's still been a really, really solid player, a really efficient player, and kind of and is somebody you can run your offense through. So Livingston and Iguodala, they'll be fine once uh, the playoffs come around. Ian Clark is currently actually leading the Warriors in three-point percentage, barring the two out of three shooting from David West, which I'm not going to count. Uh, <laughs> he's actually, he's the only Warrior player shooting above 40% from three, but, you know, Steph Curry is at 39.6, Kevin Durant's at 39.4. I think they're going to be fine. Let's talk quickly about their early season play, just sort of in general. They started the season with a 29-point loss to the Spurs that we'll get into in just a bit, but they're 23-4. and (laughs) They had a 12-game win streak in there, and occasionally they'll just pull out these performances where it looks like they just beat their opponents into submission without even really trying. Now, you talked a little bit earlier about their defensive rating, which is 8th in the league. I think that sort of belies the fact they're currently 18th in points allowed per game. And part of that is probably because they play at the third fastest pace in the league at just a tick over 100 possessions per game. And their offensive rating is second in the league, which I think is surprising. But I think it also bears mentioning that their second-ranked offensive rating in the league would also be second-ranked offensive rating all time. And the Toronto Raptors have just had an absolutely crazy run of late on the offensive end. But do you think this defense can stay in the top 10? And more to the point, do you think it might have a chance at cracking the top five if Kevin Durant can bring back some of his defensive play from the playoffs last year? I think they'll definitely stay in the top 10. I always see the thing with me whenever Durant joined the Warriors, I figured that they were going to take a dip defensively just because rim protection does matter and Bogut was really good at that. But 
the defense, as long as it stays in the top 10, it's negligible when you add a Kevin Durant. They can still switch everything. I don't know if they'll crack top five. I could see them landing, still staying somewhere in the top eight, top seven. But really, that's all you need. And considering the pace that they play at, they probably will stay in that range just because they'll there's just naturally going to be more possessions when you play the Warriors just because of the pace that they play at. But as long as they got Draymond quarterbacking the defense, he really has been the linchpin. And I know Kevin Durant has had a career year on defense so far, but it just goes without saying that Draymond has just been incredible. I actually, (laughs) I got into a discussion the other day with someone on the NBA subreddit, and it's always fun to argue with somebody when they do no research whatsoever. Um, But (laughs) we, we were talking about comparing Draymond Green and Rudy Gobert of the Jazz, not to go off topic, but while Gobert is in the conversation, Draymond has just been great at every category of defense. I was looking up his synergy stats yesterday. He's good at containing the pick-and-roll ball handler. He's good in post-ups. He has literally ended three games by himself <laughs> playing one-on-one defense against the Bucks, He did it twice against the Hawks where he locked up Dennis Schroeder, blocked him, knocked the ball off of him to give the Warriors the ball, and then did the same thing to Kent Bazemore the very next possession down. And then against the Pelicans recently where he guarded Anthony Davis one-on-one, knew what type of move he was going to do, knew his tendency, and just smacked the ball out of his hand. Draymond has just been awesome this year and the reason that I think the Warriors will stay in the top seven range of defense of efficiency rating is because he has been the runaway to me for defensive player of the year he's just been incredible I wouldn't say necessarily that he's the runaway in my opinion I think Rudy Gobert Gobert's in the conversation yeah I think it's really it has to be one or the other of them but the fact that the Jazz have the lowest opponent points per game number is helped by the fact that they also play at the slowest pace in the league. I think when you're talking about Rudy Gobert, you do need to mention the fact that George Hill has missed a lot of time, Derek Favors has missed all but their last game, and they've still played that well on the defensive end. But that's getting a little bit off track. So I think the main way that they could crack that top five, in my opinion, is if Zaza can return to his above-average rim-protecting ways of the past few years, because this year is an outlier for him in terms of just how bad he's been at defending the rim. We also have to remember, um, just I forgot to mention that Zaza is also going to be 33 years old. And that's, I feel like that's also kind of the reason why the Warriors signed him to a one-year deal, coupled with the fact that he really fell off a cliff in the second half of last, or post-All-Star break last year. To be fair, though, he's played pretty much the same way since he's been 25. Athleticism was never exactly, <laughs> that is fair. never exactly his strong suit. So let's quickly talk about the Warriors' best and worst games this season before we move into the most recent Warriors article on hashtag basketball. And when... I think of their best wins. There are two that really stand out to me among a list of very solid wins. And the first thing that comes into my mind is their November 23rd game against the Lakers. They lost their first game against the Lakers, which we'll get into when we talk about their worst game so far this season. But they put up 149 points on the Lakers in regulation. Game did not go to overtime, and they scored 149 points. 
Oh, man. The only player in the Warriors' starting lineup who did not shoot above, not 50, but 60% from the floor was Draymond Green. And granted, he went one for six, but he also nearly put up a triple-double with 11 assists and nine rebounds. I mean, what else is there to say? You're, you're absolutely, I was actually, I was waiting for you to list the other stats Draymond had, because I knew he had a bad shooting, and I was like, yeah, but, <laughs> but, uh, no, like, it's, it's incredible, even, what's crazy is, when Steph is off the court, when you look at the team's offensive rating, when you're looking at lineups, right, when Steph is off the floor, the Warriors take the biggest dip in offensive rating, but when Kevin Durant comes off, they also take a dip, but they're still good because Steve Kerr could stagger the lineups to where one of those two guys are on the floor at all times. Steve Kerr has this rotation set up now to where one of Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, or Draymond, they, he takes two of those guys out the first five minutes, leaves the other two in, and then he alternates. And <laughs> their offense has just been steadily good, but... Because of that, they could just score so seamlessly because they have a really, they have a top 15 player on the floor at all times. And their offense is just, obviously, we knew with Kevin Durant that they were going to be better. I, last year, I didn't think we were going to see a better offensive team just stats wise until they did the, <laughs> until they signed Kevin Durant. The most impressive win to me, by the way, since we're listing off wins was their game against the Los Angeles Clippers were, it was basically over. By the end of the first quarter, the final score ended up being 115 to 98. And they were struggling mightily in that game. And they still killed the Clippers. Like, looking at the box score, Steph Curry, for some reason, just doesn't like to shoot in Staples Center. Didn't make a three in that game. And Kevin Durant was 5 of 17. Klay Thompson was 8 of 18. But because, <laughs> but because they play at such a fast pace and they're so good that they still managed to put up 115 points and hold the Clippers who through most of the season were top five in both defensive and offensive efficiency. They held them to 98 points. But by the way, their best guys struggle, except for Draymond, of course. Draymond was eight for 10 and held Blake Griffin to five for 20 shooting. And this was a Clippers team that started off the year ahead of the Warriors in a lot of different metrics. And a lot of people were thinking, you know, maybe this is the Clippers year that they make a run at the conference finals, which I think discounted the Spurs a little bit. The Spurs, by the way, are now 21-5, and despite having lost Tim Duncan in the offseason. One more quick set of good games for the Warriors, and you can talk about good games for the Warriors pretty much all day long, but I wanted to bring up their two games against the Pacers. Their game in Indianapolis was their best defensive performance of the season. They held the Pacers to 83 points. And granted, Paul George was injured and did not play in that game. Miles Turner also missed that game. But putting up 120 on a team while allowing 83 is impressive if you're doing it against anyone. And the Pacers came into that game at 500, so looked even better. And the other Pacers game, of course, was the fabled 60-point Clay Thompson game, which I think says almost anything you might want to say about the Warriors, that their either third or fourth best player put up 60 like it was nothing. And granted, Clay Thompson has always sort of had that flamethrower ability to get ridiculously hot, see the 37-point quarter he put up on the Sacramento Kings. It's crazy to say, but I think in terms of just heat check guys, guys that can catch 
absolute fire. He has, I think he has a higher ceiling than Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant. I mean, this is the dude who also dropped 37 in a quarter. And you being a Kings fan, I'm sure you remember that. Yeah, that'll never leave my memory. I think he has the highest ceiling for a heat check game. 29 minutes, he scored 60 points. He was making ridiculous shots, dropped 40 in the first half. I mean, this team, man, it's just been, it's been incredibly fun to watch. And when Klay Thompson can drop 60 on the same court as Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, I mean, that's just mind-boggling. Yeah, I think part of Clay's heat check ability is just that Tom Haberster brought up this point that he took, I think... 11 dribbles. 11 dribbles, yeah, that's what it was. The entire game. And he doesn't... It was entirely in the flow of the offense. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't doing the classic Allen Iverson, Kobe, hold the ball for 18 seconds, dribble until I find a shot. He just, he got the ball, he shot, got the ball, shot, got the ball, shot. And he's going to be open on a lot of plays when you have to try and cover Kevin Durant and Steph Curry as well. Speaking of Kevin Durant, let's move into an article that recently went up on hashtag basketball.com. Yes. Written by our colleague, Marty Koenigs. Kevin Durant, the perfect fit for the Warriors. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) that kind of just says there there. isn't much else to say about Kevin Durant. You took Harrison Barnes, who was the fifth starter, very, very much the fifth starter. And granted, you also had to get rid of Andrew Bogut, which I think had an underrated impact on this team. But you're replacing him with the guy who won MVP before Steph Curry won two in a row and the guy who showed last year in the playoffs against the Golden State Warriors, by the way, that he can be an incredible defensive presence as well. He's one of the five best shooters in the NBA, in my opinion. He's seven feet tall, and he moves like a shooting guard, and he plays small forward, and in the playoffs, I'm assuming he's going to play power forward when the Warriors sort of move to that death lineup with Curry, Thompson, either Iguodala or Sean Livingston, Durant, and then Draymond Green at center. I mean, is there anything that the Warriors want or need Kevin Durant to do that he doesn't do at an elite level? So going into this season, the play that I wanted to see was last year when the Warriors ran post-ups, you just knew that they weren't posting up the score. They were posting up Draymond or Andrew Bogut so Stephen Clay can run splits which basically means set screens for, which means they're both setting screens for each other, which is nearly impossible to guard, by the way. (laughs) And I wanted to see where they haven't really posted up Kevin Durant quite as much as I thought they would, but I still haven't seen that play at a high frequency yet, where they post up Kevin Durant, and then they have Clay and Steph running splits on the other side. So that's something I'm still waiting to see, but like you said, there really isn't much to say about Kevin Durant and his fit for the Warriors. I've always thought he's been a good off-the-ball player. I mean, he showed it a lot in OKC. And all of the seasons, ever since the year that OKC took the jump to win 50 games in the 2009-2010 season, Russell Westbrook has had a slightly higher usage rate than Kevin Durant. A lot of times, Russell Westbrook had the ball and Kevin Durant, you could just see how well he moves without the ball. He's such an effortless scorer. And it's crazy. He's taking a career-low 16 shots a game, but he's such an efficient scorer and with this offense he could be he's even more efficient he's just putting the ball in the basket at a higher clip still averaging 26 but I feel like they still haven't used 
all of Kevin Durant's offensive abilities yet, and posting up being one of them. He's had him in pick and roll as the ball handler. He's had, he's even uh, set screens for Steph Curry, but it's just selfish to say, but I still kind of want to see those post-ups more because that's when I think that teams will just break because you can't guard Steph Curry and Klay Thompson when they run splits. And typically Kevin Durant is going to have a smaller defender on him when he's posting up. So that's the kind of offensive sets that I want to see more down the road. But I also, I still feel like Kerr's still trying to feel out his lineup. And that's, that's another thing to factor in. One stat that Marty brought up that I thought was really indicative. KD is shooting a little under 50% on catch and shoots and 45% from three point range, which is a jump of 6% in terms of field goal percentage from OKC and 5% in terms of three-point percentage. And when you can have someone like Kevin Durant getting catch-and-shoot shots, I mean, in OKC, another stat that Marty brought up was that 13% of Durant's shots in OKC came after seven or more dribbles. And for the Warriors, that's only been 6% of the time. And I think all of those point to the fact that the Warriors have, I mean, this is stating the obvious, but they have the past three MVPs and they have two other guys who've been on all NBA teams. I mean, it's impossible for the Warriors, well, not impossible, but it's really, really difficult for the Warriors to get a bad look on the offensive end. And that's what happens when you replace Harrison Barnes with Kevin Durant. And to follow up on that point, yesterday against the New York Knicks, the Warriors had 41 assists on 45 made baskets. That that's it, it's just it's unfair. It's insane. Before last year, teams when teams had 30 assists in a game, that was considered a rarity. And then the Warriors last year did it 17 times. They are on pace to just shatter that this year. This team has been so good, so fun to watch. It's it's incredible. By the way, before we end this podcast, I wanted to give you a quick little tidbit on Steve Kerr. The Warriors are now 23-4, and four, but uh, through their first 20 games this year, did you know that... <laughs> This was Steve Kerr's worst start through 20 games in his coaching career. <laughs> the Warriors went 17-3 and this year, and that was Steve Kerr's worst start as a head coach <laughs> so far. It's unbelievable. Here's another unbelievable one. The top five teams in the NBA in terms of assists per game. Number five, the Atlanta Hawks, 24.1. Number four, the Milwaukee Bucks, which I wouldn't have expected, 24.2. Number three, the Boston Celtics, 24.8. Number two, the Houston Rockets, 25.4. And number one, the Golden State Warriors, 31.4 assists per game. <laughs> it's unbelievable. That is, that's unfair. It's 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 unfair. I really I I really just can't wait for the playoffs to start because I really want to see history being made and healthy by the way was health is also a big factor in all of this but they've been fun to watch this year and also another quick 30 second tidbit a lot of people said that this season was going to be boring i never thought that and as a matter of fact looking back at it now it's completely wrong there's so many subplots obviously the warriors are good but there is so many subplots you got the plays of other team play from the rockets the bucks players like 
Greek Freak, Westbrook, Harden. The Warriors haven't ruined anything. If anything, they have just made the NBA so much more interesting. And especially with all the elevated talent just collectively around the league, it's been compelling. One of the more compelling seasons in my lifetime, honestly. Yeah, a lot of people said coming into the season that, you know, there wasn't going to be anything to watch for because, oh, it's just going to be the Cavs and the Warriors in the finals again. It's going to be the third time in a row that we've had the same matchup. It's going to be fun. It was fun the last two times. It's going to be fun this time. We never had a trilogy before. I mean, I'm game for that. (laughs) I'm down for round three of this with the teams completely healthy. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to go over before we wrap up? Um, no, I think that's about it. Let's just keep this season going. Hopefully everybody's healthy and it's just, it's been awesome to watch so far. Can't wait for to see how it turns out. All right. Well, he's Jordan Christmas. You can find him on Twitter at Sports Talk Xmas, S-P-O-R-T-S-T-A-L-K-X-M-A-S. You can follow me on Twitter at N-B-A underscore J-O-H-N-S-O-N. Please check out the hashtag basketball website, hashtag basketball.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at hash basketball. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, please leave a rating and or a review on iTunes. Please also feel free to reach out to me on Twitter with any feedback you might have about this or any of the previous episodes. And thanks so much for listening.